You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Down the Full Podcast, we are joined by I'm not going to list all your clubs, John, but uh, Stockport, Hartlepool, Dundee United, and Rangers forward John Daly. Welcome to the show, John. No, thanks very much for having me on, lads. Appreciate it. And we're also joined by regular Barfly, uh, Chris Searle. Thanks for hanging out again, Chris. Morning, gentlemen. Morning. Thanks for coming on, John. No problem at all. So, uh, first question I have for you is. Um, you were coaching with, with Hearts up until till January, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, are you allowed to say like what what happened while you're not coaching there anymore? I think I think everybody knows. Um, it was quite public. Um, yeah. So obviously the manager when when you don't get results, um, change happens. Um, and obviously Craig Craig got relieved of his duties, and the club then appointed Daniel Stendhal and. You know, I kind of, as is with football, most coaches like to work with people they've worked with before. Um, so, yeah, he, he kind of wanted to bring in his own staff, which, again, is understandable and I, and I totally get it. So that's that's the reason why I hence moved on. So um, there was a couple of issues with that um, in terms of the, you know, the way it was done, um, etc. I was quite, obviously, happy to move on. But there was a couple of things that were said that quite, you know, bugged me, and I've I've kind of come out openly and spoke about that in the press in in Scotland, and you know, so but that's that's water under the bridge, and you know, obviously, I every club I've been at, I always wish them the best, and you know, I think uh, the 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 kind of the, the move on was you know it was amicable and everything was good, obviously, until the manager said what he said, which which was disappointing, but again, it's water under the bridge, and move on. I want to see Hearts be a, a successful force in Scotland again. Well, you know, he didn't get to last uh, too long himself, right? No, he didn't. Um, I think he was contracted until until the summer and then there was clauses in the contract as well. Um, you know, obviously, look, you, you don't want to see, I didn't want to see Hearts get relegated. There's, um, you know, as I said, when, when you're at a football club and things aren't going well, it, it doesn't mean you don't like the club. You know, we, we obviously tried as hard as we could to try and get things right. And there was obviously issues um, on the playing front in terms of, you know, injuries to key players. There was a lot There was a lot that went on that probably are out with your control. Um, and that's one thing I've, I've definitely learned from um, the experience. And that's, that's something, again, you, you try and pick up you know, pointers and stuff you can learn, you can take forward into your, your next um, projects and your next challenges and um, stuff that you can you can take from that. Even, you know, from my playing days, I try, and, I try and take things that, you know, I feel that I can then, you know, give back to people that, you know, are, are wanting to then pursue a similar career. Yeah, it seems like you really need to have a, a thick skin in, uh, in football, huh? 
Totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, my wife actually says all the time that I've got no emotions, which you know, uh, Jesus. <laughs> um, which is not great. <laughs> but no, I, I think you have you have to. You know, uh, I think I learned quite early on as a player. You know, if you if you read the good press, there's going to be negative press as well. So you can't just read the good. Like so, I, I decided early on not to read anything because I think. For me, if you go looking for it, they're always going to find something. And I don't care how thick-skinned you are. If you, if you read enough um, negativity and you see enough, enough negativity, it's going to try and creep in. And, and I try, I'm, a, I'm a positive person and I try and see the positives in, in everything and, and I, try and, um, I try and exude that. And so, yeah, I think it is just it's, – it's a good thing not to, to pay attention to that because it, it, the game is all about opinions, you know, and – you know, there's three of us on here today that will probably all have different opinions who the best player in the world is and, um, you know, what way we would want to play the game. And, and that's the joy of football. And, and, and I think that's why we all love it because there's, there's not just one way to do things. So, um, you know, and that comes down to individual players as well. You know, the type of player I was, I wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but there was people that appreciated me. Um, but again, I can't be worried about what other people are thinking about me because then it can affect my performance so um what's next for you like obviously you 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 moved on just before a pandemic hit the world so great timing yeah great timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> so what what's next for you what's next for you do you think well I kind of moved when I moved on in January I kind of seen it as a positive time to do so because you know generally in football um in the UK you know, coming up to sort of February, March time, even kind of April, changes start to happen. So I kind of seen it as a positive time to move. Um, and I tried to use it productively in terms of, you know, I'm on my pro license now um, with the Scottish FA. And we're coming, we're coming right near the end of that. We've got a couple of months to go. Um, and part of the curriculum is to do a club visit, um, you know, an overseas club visit. So I, I, I use the time in January. I, I I got reached out to uh, uh, Mark Spalding, who was on the pro license. He was in America at the time. Um, and I, I chose to, to try and get out to the soccer convention in, in Baltimore. So I went to that for three or four days. And then I reached out to Philadelphia um, and asked if I would go in for you know, three, four days there to do a, clubs, uh, a club study. And they were great. They were very accommodating. Um, so I managed to, to, to do that in the you know, initial period. Um, which was great because, you know, obviously then when the pandemic hit, you can't travel. People can, there's a lot of, a lot of the candidates haven't actually been able to get that done as, as such. So, you know, that kind of worked out well and that I managed to get that done and, and to get out to America and see um, how Philadelphia are, are kind of, you know, operating and, and, and everything they have going on there and, and just the, the, the leagues in general in, in North America, you know, it's actually, it's booming out there right now and it's, it's, it's great to see. Um, so, so yeah, look, I've kind of tried to use the time productively. I went down to Swindon to my friend, Noel Hunt, um, to look at how, what they're doing in training. I went into a couple of clubs in Scotland just to see what they're doing, you know, so, so just being going around different clubs to see and try and pick up, you know, little pointers to see if, if there's people that are doing anything totally different that not generally doing, you know, everybody kind of does similar stuff, but they deliver things a bit, a little bit differently. 
And there was a couple of little things that you maybe pick up that you think I, I would like to do that, or I would like to do certain things that way. Um, so yeah, so so the timing of it when it obviously got to March and obviously the pandemic hit wasn't fantastic because the whole world was shut down. But that you know it's the same in any industry and any walk of life just now. So there's a lot of people that are really struggling, and I find myself very fortunate that you know my family are healthy, I'm healthy, and. And I haven't been overly affected in terms of the, you know, the health aspect of it. And, and I don't really know anyone that has been um, affected by it, which is, is, is great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the main thing, right? I mean, like, like family is, is pretty much everything. So, like, just, to, just to going back to Hearts a little bit, like, so, obviously you're not synonymous with Hearts, like, like Dundee, Rangers, Raid Rovers and all that kind of stuff. So how did, it, how, how did that coaching opportunity come up in Edinburgh? Um, I think it was the fact that like Craig Levine was the director of football. He obviously signed me for Dundee United. Um, so when I was at Hartlepool, Dundee United um, showed an interest. Craig was the manager. Um, so I think he obviously has had a big connection with Hearts. He was in as the director of football. I was playing at Raith Rovers after I'd left Rangers. I was My plan was to try and go abroad um, for a couple of seasons just to experience something outside of the UK um, and I went I went out to South Africa for a week to train with a club with the view to signing but then a couple of things happened that never you know materialised so I came back to, to Scotland um, and I was kind of just waiting for opportunities but a lot of the foreign leagues kind of opened back up again in January so Ray McKinnon had got in touch with me about going to rate until the January with a view then to you know trying again to go abroad um, but during that period, I got a phone call off Craig to say that the, you know, the under twenties role um, at Hearts has become available. You know, and what was what were my thoughts and what was I planning to do? And obviously, I was reaching the tail end of my career, so he obviously was just looking to see what my plans were. So I went down and spoke to um, himself, Robbie Nielsen, who was a former teammate at Dundee United as well, and Anne Budge, who I had never met before. Um, and we had a conversation and it went really well and you know I think we all got on really well and so I got offered the job and it was it, it was it was one of those it was it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a difficult decision because obviously you know you want to play for as long as you can um, but I think the injuries I'd had throughout my career with my knees my ankles you know, after the game on a, on a Sunday morning, I was like the tin man. I was, you know, trying to get up in the mornings. I couldn't move. So Putting oil in your joints. <laughs> yeah, so it, 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 it used to take a couple of days to recover from a game. So, and I think that's why Scotland really suited me in, in terms of, you know, the, the amount of games. You know, you, you, you very rarely had midweek games, whereas pr- prior to that in England, you were playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for nearly every week. So it, it was it was quite um, heavy on the body. So, Going to Scotland really worked for me and it helped me and I think it helped prolong my career. Um, but yeah, so it, it just felt like the right time to, and I, and I felt like the right fit because I had been looking at um, going on my A licence that summer um, whilst I was still playing because I'd already done my B licence so I wanted to get my A licence before I retired but it kind of just was learning on the job as, as you go when I went in the hearts. Nice. Uh, just before I hand over to Chris, uh, I just... Had a, like one more little kind of question. So, obviously, uh, 
you play for Rangers and we'll get into that a little bit later on but uh, like obviously James McLean's come out this week talking about the sectarian abuse that he's been receiving it's kind of been well publicised you've obviously had this too unfortunately like playing for Rangers and all that kind of stuff but what do you think needs to be done by the authorities to kind of stamp this out once and for all to kind of because at the end of the day all you, you, you're just lads wanting to play football right so yeah I think personally I think from my I can't obviously speak for James um but for myself, I'll go back to, you know, looking for it. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's always going to be, for me, there's always going to be a minority that, that are like that or don't want to have their say and, and, and try and get their comments across, which is, it's, you know, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Um, but for me, as I said earlier, I, I don't go looking for it like so when I obviously signed for Rangers I remember coming back from holidays um, with my wife and, and kids and and we had a letter to the house which was sent to Dundee United but obviously it wasn't there anymore so they forwarded it on and it was it was a, an Irish lad that had moved to Derby that was telling me that it was a disgrace you know signing and taking the Queen's money and everything all this <laughs> living in all Derby quite, <laughs> uh, you know this is it because I can't quite, um, poor from him the fact that he was living in Derby and I presume working in Derby um, so yeah so like there was there was a handful of letters that I got even then to the club um, but to be fair you know I actually just spoke to I spoke to the, the receptionist at the front desk and I said look any post that comes from me just open it and if it's negative I don't want to know that. like if it's someone looking for something whether it's a charity or a, you know signed autographs or, or whatever yeah pass them on to me I don't mind doing anything like that but if it's someone that's just wanting to give me their opinion I said I'm not interested so just put it in the bin so I kind of just you know after the first couple you, you switch off from it and you, you just focus on on why you're there and that's to play football and to try and help the football club progress to to where they want to get back to it. and and you know playing for a club of that size was was fantastic and um, a great experience and and going back to how you stop it and how the the authorities stop it, it for me it's difficult that because you know with the likes of twitter it's 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 obviously a public field and i think for me, I've only recently got an Instagram. Like I had Facebook for years where, where it was kind of, it was personal. It was just my family and close friends that were, had access to it would never accept anyone that I didn't know. And Instagram, I, I kind of have public because it's just photos and any messages that I get that I just don't bother, I just delete them. But I think the likes of Twitter, the likes of social media, I think it's like handing someone your phone number. It's like handing them instant access to you, you know. So I think that that obviously is an issue because I think the players nowadays like um, having that um, publicity, and I think with that can come negativity and and can come, you know, a poor performance. You can have thousands of people telling you you are rubbish. Um, you know, so I do think people have to be careful with social media. Um, but that is what the world we live in just now. So it, it is difficult to stop because, as I said, it's like giving someone direct access to you to, to tell you what they think of you. And, and if you're susceptible to 
reading this and you and you you don't react positively. I don't know. I would suggest you delete your, all your social media, which in this day and age is probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like I mean, like, like I'm a I'm from Dublin too, and I'm a Celtic fan. But at the end of the day, like you know, I'm just happy to see somebody from back home do well. You know what I mean? And it's like if you play for Rangers, you play for Rangers. It is what it is, right? I mean, I, I, I don't get the the hate myself. You know? Yeah. Well, I think growing up for me, it was always you know just. You know, I always wanted to be a football player because I loved the game. I always wanted to play in front of... I wanted to win the World Cup for Ireland. That was my first, my first dream. You and then as I, got, <laughs> as, I, as I got older, I realised that was probably never going to happen. <laughs> um, you Not know, with that so, attitude. <laughs> no, no. So I knew, I knew it was highly unlikely, should I say. Uh, but no, I think for me growing up, I was a massive Man United fan. Like my brother, my brother um, you know, we, we lived in... You know, a house where we shared a bedroom, and in the corner of it, he had this shrine to Sir Matt Busby. It was like something you'd never seen. It was like an altar, you know, with just like pictures of all the wow. all the players. And so, yeah, so he he kind of drilled that into me at an early age. So I was a Man United fan. I never really paid much attention to Scottish football and um, to the whole Celtic Rangers thing. So it was nothing. It was something that never really, you know, I didn't have a massive opinion on it. Um, but as a, as a kid, you, for me, you just want to play football. You want to play in front of big crowds. So and when I got to that age, you know, the biggest crowd I kind of played in front of was at Millennium Stadium for, for Hartlepool in the playoff final against Sheffield Wednesday. So, you know, to get that opportunity to play in front of a crowd like that every kind of second week was, it was a no-brainer. Yes, and, and, and those other things that come into it, you know, you're getting a bit older. The finances are, are, are better than I've ever had. You know, working for a manager like Ali McCoist was a, a dream, you know. So so there was a lot of positives to it. Yes, the negatives are other people's opinions. But as I said earlier, I don't really care about other people's opinions. And I'm not, I don't, you know, obviously the people that I work with, my family, my friends, their opinions matter to me. But the people that are out with that bubble can think what they think and, and say what they say. And, and it just doesn't... Um, it doesn't come through the, the bubble, I suppose. John, um, one of the things that popped into my head, because like, I, I kind of remembered hearing your name when you were playing for Dundee, um, was when they were making that run in Europe. And you were kind of a pretty important part of it. I know they were three or two or three seasons. They were pretty brief. But talk about your adventure in Europe. Yeah, so that's probably one of my biggest disappointments at Dundee United is that like, you know we never actually made that uh, final step into the group stages. We... We seemed to qualify, you know, a couple of years in a row. Um, and, you know, Dundee United's history is, is is massive. They've had some fantastic runs in Europe and the fans, the older kind of generation of fans were, were used to that. Um, and then they'd had a little tail off and a little dip. So so our team were the probably, were the team that were, were trying to push the club back into that um to that limelight and and as I said we came close on a couple of occasions um, but you know sometimes it's it's it can be difficult you know we had we, we had Slash Rocklaw um, from Poland we had a couple of uh, games against them and we, we ran them close um, Dynamo Moscow um, we drew 2-2 at Tanadois and then went out to Russia and got battered 5-0 um, you know I think we 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 annoyed them by drawing with them two two at home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they had they had a few top top players playing um, that didn't really perform in the first game, and, and I don't think um, I don't think they they probably liked the press that's got you know in Scotland. They were, were probably you know 
bigging us up um, and, and probably giving us, you know, more of a chance than we probably had. Um, but we, we went out there believing we could win the game and obviously within 10 minutes or two or three nil down and it's, it's, uh, it's a hard way back or a long way back. But the, the one that was um, probably the closest was AEK Athens. Um, so we, we obviously we got beat one nil at home, which was disappointing, you know, not, not scoring at home and then conceding the away goal makes it all the more difficult. And then, then when we went out to, to Greece, it was under a uh, strange circumstance, a bit like a bit similar to the way it is now, you know, because I think there's, there was something wrong with their stadium, so they couldn't play at their stadium. So they were trying to find a stadium to play at. I think they had agreed to play at one of their rival stadiums, but the fans of that stadium went God. in and wrecked their own stadium so that they couldn't play. <laughs> oh, my God. So it was, <laughs> it was incredible. So we ended up, um, we ended up playing at Olympiacos Stadium. But they had said you can use the stadium, but no fans um, can come come in. So, um, but they allowed I think it was maybe five hundred, six hundred Dundee United fans. So we had this big, massive stadium with like four or five hundred fans right up the back corner, um, which was was a bit surreal. It was a bit you know a bit crazy. But then we went one nil down in that game, so two nil down on aggregate. Um, and then I was on the bench. I came on and I scored to make it two one, and then we we kind of realised I think they realised that if we got the next goal we would go through and away goals and we were the team that were on top we were pressing we were pushing and that's when I think the whole no fans probably went against us because I think if they had had fans in the stadium that then the atmosphere you know and the tension goes into the crowds I think they can then start to put a bit more pressure on the players so I think it worked against us and we actually had an opportunity in the last couple of minutes Danny Swanson who was one of the top top players for the team uh, edge of the box took it down and, and you know it looked like it was in all the way and it just went a couple of inches the wrong side of the post so that was probably the closest we came to actually you know having a a, a proper sustained run in, in Europe and, and as I said that's that's my, my biggest disappointment at the club I had a lot of success there as a player and um, really enjoyed my time there it was a fantastic club and that's probably the club that I feel closest to um, you know six and a half years at, at that club with, with the successes that I had probably my, my most um, probably successful period as a player so yeah so it would have been nice to give that back to the fans and, and let them experience that because the nights that we had in Europe in the qualifying stages the, the, the place you know the atmosphere was always good at Tannadice but it just seemed to raise I don't know how it did but it used to always go up a bit more and, and I don't know whether it was the fans coming in a bit earlier maybe it was an evening kickoffs. they'd been down the pub you know having a, <laughs> having a few uh, looseners before they came in and, um, so yeah it, it, they were great experiences and as I said I'm just disappointed we didn't have more of them well you did end up giving them a Scottish Cup which is nothing to yeah. slouch about at all whatsoever. Um, the trajectory of your career there actually was, was was interesting because you started out with a lot of injuries and by the end of it, you were the club captain. You just said you had an affinity with the club. Is there something in the future in terms of your coaching maybe ever in line? I know that's a crapshoot to say because they probably have their own structure and system, but have you ever thought about going back to Dundee to maybe get educated and, and pass on some of that education being um, a staple of the club during an important time, like you said? Yeah, I think, again, it comes back to opportunities, you know, and I think that was obviously why I went in the hearts when I did, because it was an opportunity to, to go in. And I think, you know, in Scotland, there's 
I think maybe 20, 22 full-time teams, um, which then on that, you maybe you're looking at a head coach, an assistant coach. Not many will have a first-team coach as well. So, you know, there's only so many full-time roles and there's just millions of coaches that want to get into these opportunities. So, so yeah, it would be fantastic if the opportunity presented itself, I would jump at the chance because, as I said, it's a, it's a club that's close to my heart and it's one that, um, you know, all the clubs I've been at, I always look for their results on a, on a Saturday. I always look to see how they're doing and, and you want to see them do well. But Dundee United, uh, as I said earlier, is probably the one that um, is, you know, pulls on the heartstrings the most um, with the, you know, the Scottish Cup and, and the success we had in the league. And, and just the time I had there in general was fantastic and it was a great experience and I had a great connection with the fans Um so yeah, if it, if it presented itself and an opportunity became available, then then one hundred percent, I would I would definitely look at that. So talk about that cup final. Um, maybe the whole lead up, the whole season leading yeah. up to it, but more specifically, like you said, you had a great relationship with the fans, and you were saying that you guys were really trying to bring back some of that old history, some of that class mm-hmm. history. Talk about that lead up, maybe like the week or two leading up to it, and match day, the match, and the celebrations mm-hmm. after. Yeah, so I'll go back to the semi-final because that was the interesting one for me. Like because you know you had ourselves, Celtic, uh, Ross County, and Wraith Rovers were the other were the other semi-finalists. Now Ross County and Wraith were um, championship teams at the time, so we got drawn against Wraith Rovers. Celtic got drawn against Ross County. So everybody is assuming Celtic done the United final. Um, now football obviously doesn't work like that, but. The, the, the games on the, the semi-final were played on the Saturday and the Sunday uh, and we just happened to be the second game. So we were out training, we came in, we went up to have some food and we're watching the, the Ross County Celtic semi-final and we're having our lunch and Ross County score and you're going, oh, all right, okay, here we go. Like, so by the time we actually got to the hotel, Ross County had beaten Celtic and we were kind of looking around going, wow, this is incredible. Like we have an unbelievable opportunity to win a trophy, you know, and that's no disrespect to, to Ross County and Wraith Rovers, you know, two, two good clubs and, and two really good teams at the time. But we knew on our day we could match anyone and we could beat anyone as long as we were switched on and we were at it. And, and I think, you know, we've seen from that result that if you're not at it and you're not playing to your capabilities, an upset can happen. So, that was probably the best thing that could have happened for us because it made us focus even more. We went into the game against uh, Wraith Rovers um, and we, we were at it and we won 3-0, went through to the final. And then you obviously have that pressure of then being the favourite. And I think we were doing that well in the league as well. That you know It gave the manager the opportunity to, to, to rest players at the right time and you know to make sure that he went into that final with, with no... Um, major injuries um, or nobody really missing and everyone they, they obviously geared the training up that, that when the final came we were all ready to go um, so yeah so the build up to it was fantastic you know as I said there was that pressure on us um, to deliver the cup for the club because we were the favourites going into it um, but yeah so we, we went I think to be fair to the manager and the staff they tried to keep it as normal as possible you know they tried to they tried to just do the build-up the way we would do a build-up to any kind of away game. Um, you know, so we, we had our training, normal training week, went into a hotel the night before. I was staying with Craig Conway, 
who, who scored two in the final. And we were discussing about, oh, it'd be great to score it. It'd be fantastic to score in the final. And we actually, it was funny because he was around the other day. We had a barbecue the other day and he was, he was around and we were talking about it. And he was like, do you remember the movie we watched? And I was like, I was trying to rack my brain. He goes, we watched The Commitments the night before the game. <laughs> <laughs> we watched The Commitments. So he's going on and on about, uh, you know, doing that. He's trying to put on the accent about, oh, God sent him on a bloody Suzuki. You know, he's trying to... So, <laughs> We, were, we watched the commitments and we, we, we were sat up talking about the final, um, about the great score. And then we were like, God, oh, wouldn't it be brilliant? And then obviously he went and done it, which was, was amazing. Um, but just the game itself, obviously going in a half time, nil nil, you know, and, and we'd had a couple of opportunities. Um, Michael McGovern made a couple of saves for them. And, and you're kind of thinking, right, that the first goal is going to be massive. If we get it, the game will open up and, and they'll need to come at us. And then we maybe can then go on and kill the game off. And, and thankfully, that's what happened. You know, we scored the first goal, the ball obviously over the top and I've chased it down, never ran behind in my life. I've ran behind for the first time, probably in my career, um, and put the keeper under pressure and, and he's, he's knocked it out to Goody, who, again, was a fantastic talent for the club and, and someone who, um, you know, obviously then got a good move off the back of, of his success at Dundee United. Um, he's he's took it on his chest and and found the net from distance and and that kind of took a little bit of weight off our shoulders and and then we just we opened up the game as I said opened up Ross County then needed to score um, and then we we kind of hit them um, on on the on the break a couple of times with Conway scoring two and I think I'm not sure the timing but it, it could have been probably last ten minutes when we scored that third goal and it was inevitable we were going to win the cup at that stage with 10 minutes to go and, and the atmosphere was fantastic and and you could just enjoy the last 10 minutes, you know, like if it had been 1-0 going into that, probably would have been defend, defend, just defend what we have and, but at that stage it was 3-0 and, and we were just keeping the ball and seeing the game out and I think Ross County kind of knew at that stage the game was over um, and the fans obviously enjoyed it because they knew they'd had so many kind of disappointments in finals you know, they'd been to numerous cup finals and and, and being beaten. Um so it was it was great for them to actually just enjoy that last few minutes and and just know that they were winning the cup and um but yeah the the celebrations after it were incredible. You know, obviously going back to the stadium afterwards on the bus and, and getting to spend it with your family. I I quite a lot of family over from Ireland. Um and you know getting to to spend that in the you know, the, the stadium and in the lounge in the stadium, just kind of like it was close-knit family and friends were allowed in. And, and that was a great experience just to, you know, soak it all in. And before you then went and done the open uh, top bus the following day. That was actually quite funny because we, you know, you would think Noel Hunt had won the cup. He was there with us, but he was back up the road. He was on the bus. I don't know how. <laughs> He's on the bus with that, with the cup and all. Um, and then we had like, obviously... <laughs> you had like the you know you went out uh, at the town the town square and, and they had the balcony where you, you got called out and you held the cup up Hunty got called out to, to hold the cup up he'd obviously been at Dundee United and he had a he had a big affinity with the club but Hunty's out on the balcony with the cup and all I was thinking this is incredible it was all down to him man you know like it's yeah. just <laughs> yeah. no, so it was great it was it was just a great experience and um, and again something that you know, will live with me forever. And it's something that, um, you know, as you go in, like, as a kid, you kind of just think it's the norm. 
you know, to win trophies and win medals, you know, because, you know, I was at, at Cherry Orchard as a kid and that was a very successful um, football club and we had kind of a really strong team at that at that stage as a kid and and you you won at least one or two medals a year and, and you kind of just think, this is great, you know, football, you win medals, but when you go into the professional side of it, you don't get many opportunities, you know, to win trophies and um, especially the cup competitions because, you know, in my, in in you know, in England, it's always the, the top five, six teams that go on to win it or you get the odd time where, you know, Wigan will come through and win it. Um, but in Scotland, you know, a lot of the time it is the old firm or it's, you know, Hearts, Hibs, it's Aberdeen and, and Dundee United have won a couple. Um, but yeah, so you, you don't get that many opportunities. So, you know, it was something that to win that medal at that stage of my career was was a great feeling and 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 something I'm very proud of, you know, and, and to be in the, the history of that, that football club as a, a cup winner is, is fantastic. Do you, uh, do you remember the hangover? Um, <laughs> do you know, I don't really get hangovers, which is you great. You bastard. <laughs> it's great. I don't. And that's what my, my wife says all the time. She'd just be raging. She'll have two gins and she's wrecked, whereas I could drink two bottles of gin and I'm fine. Um, <laughs> Wait till you're no. 40, man. <laughs> yeah. No, it was actually really good because we had, we had, we celebrated obviously the Saturday night and we had the celebration with the family and then we all kind of went on and celebrated. And the next day you had, I think it was maybe in the afternoon, the, everything started, but we, we went out early as you would um, and kind of just made a whole day of it. And then it was brilliant because one of the lads that had played was before Danny Granger was getting married the week after so he had a stag do in Ibiza that we we kind of just carried on huh? um, and we had a week in Ibiza where we just we just kicked on and it was funny because one of the nights uh, walking back to the apartment I actually we stopped at the tattoo parlour and I got a henna tattoo I don't, oh. I've never I've, not, I've no tattoos and I've no okay. interest <laughs> but I got a henna tattoo of the Scottish Cup and I sent the picture to my wife and she was like oh, oh no oh my god what are you doing and I was like ah it's like it's just you know, Scottish Cup winner have to get it. Um, but obviously, it came off a couple of weeks later, thankfully, um, and never left any marks. But it, it was just a great, a great week and a great, um, a great experience, and and something as I said that will, you know, live with me forever, and something I'll never get tired of talking about. So I know you said there that you uh, you played for for Cherry Orchard growing up, like uh, they're one of the biggest clubs in 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 Ireland, pretty much uh, you club. So what was it like playing there, and like how did they develop you as a player? I, I loved it. I started off at Ashwood, which was the state I grew up in. Um, as a seven year old, I played there. They'd kind of set up a team because we had a lot of um, we had a lot of players that were. Were, were were decent and, and were were at a good level at that age and we so we the a couple of the local um um parents set up a, a football club so I, I signed up to that and spent a year there and then my dad is from Ballyfermot so um and he is is his kind of family home was right next to the lawns where Cherry Orchard are based so I went down as a, as an eight year old I think for under nines trials. Um, went in, done really well. Got offered the chance to go in, and yeah, it was fantastic. It was it was a great setup. I, I loved it. You know, as I got a little bit older, I used to be able to get the bus down the seventy six B from down by uh, the Lock and Key pub. I just jump on the bus and go down to to, to Ballier and just uh, do my training and stuff there. And I loved it. And I think the coaches were really good. They just 
let us play. And, and I think when you're at a club like that, generally, you know, you get the pick of the best players um, because everybody, you know, the scouts come and watch there and, and everyone sees that as, as an opportunity to, to get trials in, in the UK. And so we had a really good team. You know, we had Wayne Henderson in goal who, who then went on to have a, a career. Um, Keith Fahey, who wow. went to Arsenal. So we had we had some top players. Daryl McMahon was myself. I'm trying to think of the other ones. There was a few others, I'm sure. But I, my dad then, um, he was the the coach for the older age group, which kind of helped as well. So he had the likes of Andy Reid and stuff there and his team. Um, Jesus Christ. So we, there was a lot, of, a lot of clubs, a lot of players around that age that, that went on. You know, I think the younger age you had you had Willow Flood, who obviously was at Dundee United with me, and then Sean Dillon came down at kind of later stage. It's and it's funny because we all ended up at Dundee United after playing together or playing at the same club <laughs> in Dublin, which was which was quite funny. So like how, how did that help then like with the with, with the move having like all the Dundee having all those kind of lads with you? Um I think it do, it does help when you know people. Um you know, when I was at Hartlepool, I, I, I got a phone call actually off Hunty, off Noel Hunt. Um, and I, I'd known Noel probably from playing together under 21s. And, you know, so I, I kind of knew him in that environment of, you know, teammates at under 21s. I'd never played with him previously or, or before at any a football club. So we kind of just had that, you know, I'd spent a couple of weeks together. And then I got a phone call off him. Um, Are you signing for Dundee United? And I was like, how do you know that? Like, where did... And he, he's kind of like, he's kind of like, I was thinking, shit, like, he's a striker, I'm a striker. He's maybe ringing me thinking, like, what are you doing coming to do tonight? <laughs> Threatening you. Know, yeah, thinking, ringing me up and going, don't come here. But, so no, he actually rang me up and he was just like, look, he said, it's a great football club. And he kind of just um, really cemented my mindset as that I wanted to go. Um, and, and it was great to know him. And then it was, like a couple of days later, I think after I'd signed, Sean signed. So like we we signed more or less within the same couple of days or same week. We signed for for Dundee United. He was playing in Ireland at the time, um, and I was obviously playing down at Hartlepool. So that was uh, the first time we'd teamed up in in the UK. Which then I think it does help you settle in, and it does it does make it easier when you have people there that you know. You know, you're not always that fortunate that when you go to a club, you're not always gonna. No, someone, but but football is such a small world. Like it, it really is, and you know, I think when you go to a football club, you you generally will know someone that knows someone that you know. You know, so it's yeah. I think it, it, there's always someone that is connected to someone that you you've had an experience with. So you, you kind of have that straight away. And I think you know when you do sign for, for these clubs, you always kind of look through the squad and and look at who's there and you know who are the people that might. And know the same people I do and, and, and then you kind of it helps you settle in that much quicker but when you actually know the people yourself it is great and I think it does it does make that bedding in period a, a lot smoother like you're you're a heartly pool and most people think of like Scotland they think as you said the old firm and stuff like that like um, so what was it was it Noel that actually sold the club to you that made you want to switch or what was it like that made you decide like you know you're down in England and as you, I know you said before on previous things that yeah. Scottish football is kind of ignored really in England it doesn't really get 100%. that much press so like what what made you decide to was it just Hunty that did it or was it um, was, something else yeah so there was a, it's, it is funny because it, you know you're you're thinking I'm a Hartlepool which is up in the north east it's near, near Newcastle and it's actually really close to 
to Scotland, but it doesn't get any press, as you just said. It's like it's it's strange, um, you know, unless it's it, unless it was Celtic or Rangers, that was it was never ever talked about. But I had obviously got interest, and I'd I'd had uh, an agent kind of reach out to me to say, um, what your thoughts, what your plans, um, Dundee United are interested in you. So again, you know. And again, it's a massive football club, but at that time I knew nothing about them. So I kind of spoke to, you know, you go back to your, the people you're playing with and I looked around the change. Who, who might have an experience? Gavin Strachan was at the club uh, at Hartlepool at the time um, and he played at Dundee. So I just kind of mentioned to him, I just said, look, what's your thoughts on Dundee United? I might have an opportunity. And he, he kind of just said, look, that's a massive football club. Um, he says, I know they don't get the, the coverage, the press, but he said, huge, great history. Um, he says, if you have the opportunity to go there, he said, jump at the chance. Like So, So yeah, he, he kind of pushed me in that direction. Um, and then obviously, then you do your, your homework on the club and you look up everything. And and yeah, it was it was probably Gavin who, who when I first initially spoke to, he he pushed me. And then obviously, then Hunty then ringing me after, after I got over the initial panic of thinking he was going to, you know, back to me for coming up to take a spot. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, and then Hunty then kind of just confirmed that. And then when I went up to the club and I spoke to the club, I spoke to the manager, and I seen the stadium and you see um, the training facilities. And well, at the time weren't great, but you know, they they had plans to go to St Andrews, which then kind of came into fruition a year or two later. Um, so yeah, so the, the whole setup there was was brilliant. And it didn't take much. Once I'd seen it, and once I'd spoken to a couple of people that I trusted about, and once I'd seen it myself, it was a no-brainer for me. I just had a quick question about like Stockport. So, yeah. I, I um, like Carlton Palmer was your manager there, who's obviously like a, somehow an English legend. God knows how. Uh, He's but... the man. Don't even <laughs> don't even hate on him. He's the man. <laughs> But uh, like, there was, a, was there a season that you were going to be like the, the backup goalkeeper or something? Was that true? That was a game. That was oh, so, a game. Yeah. What, yeah. What, so what he, happened there? He, he kind of was, he was toying with the idea of, of not going with a substitute goalkeeper. He wanted to have more options. He wanted to have more options on the, on the bench from, you know, for outfield. So he, he wanted to, so he kind of just was like, has anyone ever played in goal before? So I, I stupidly said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I said, yeah, I've, I've done that. But like, he, he didn't know that I played. It was at Cherry Orchard um, when we hadn't got... And I, I conceded two goals in the first half. And then I came out at half-time and scored two. So we do two-two. And I, I was involved in all four goals. But I never told him that. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I kind of was like, look, I've, I've played Gaelic in school. Uh, for the game, you know, for the the school, I know how to catch a football, and you know all that. I've played in goal once before. Never told them what the outcome, but he was like, "Great, grand, you're the sub goalkeeper." So it was no problem. So I was basically, if anything had happened um, in that game, I was designated to to jump in between the sticks. So every time, like your your keeper, like dove for something or tried to like come out to play, were you just like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> basically, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was just thinking, please don't get injured. Please don't get injured. So, because, like when I, when we did play 
Gaelic, we never used our hands. We, we were like basically the, the football team that played for the Gaelic team as well. And we used to always just keep it on the deck and play. As, and the refs used to moan at us, like, lad, you just have to pick up, you just have to use your hands. And we were like, yeah, yeah, grand. And, and any time we would just go for goals, we would never go for the point. The point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was basically, we were just playing a game of, of football like as well. Like, so, um, but yeah, no, it was, that was, that was funny. It was, um, because then he obviously came out afterwards because he got asked about it, about the whole, you know, he didn't have a sub-goalkeeper. He said, like, oh, no, no, John, John Daly was the the designated. He's played there before, you know. <laughs> I think I was about 12 when I played there. <laughs> like, I've done, that, I've done that a few times on FIFA where, like, you know, I just, I wouldn't put a goalkeeper or something on the bench, but, like, Jesus Christ, man, that's, like, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always when the keeper gets hurt in football. Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was Swansea away who were, like, a really good team, you know, and I was thinking, is I'm going to get tested here? With you? <laughs> You know? Oh God! Hey, like John O'Shea did okay when he got in. We have a history of uh, doing yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was probably just naivety. Yeah, my youth and naivety, and just saying, yeah, I'll do it, no problem. Um, but if I had it came down to, it, I probably would have been like, oh no. <laughs> oh, I, I hurt my arm. I can't get in. Yeah, <laughs> I'd probably just have to go off injured or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like when you're up at uh, like Dundee United, um, I said you had like a lot of success and. But you, you left on a free to go to Rangers. Like, like obviously you were dropping down divisions. So you're mm-hmm. on the Premier League. Like, how hard was that decision? Like to to actually um, to, to to drop the division rather than just I know Rangers is massive, but um, they were going yeah. through a tough time. Yeah, I, I I get that, and I know a lot of people were you know probably wondering, going you know dropping the divisions. But again, it's it's the football club, and it's it's everything that comes along with that, and it's the size of the club and. It wasn't like you were dropping the divisions and, and going to play in front of like 50 people. It was, you're going to play in front of 50,000 people, you know, and you're going to a club that has a, a massive history and and you're trying to help them get back to the divisions where they should be. Now, yes, I, I, get, I totally get it. And, and a lot of people probably question that. And, and but, but see if I'm being brutally honest, like, there wasn't many other options. Um, <laughs> now, a lot of people had said to me, oh, you could go back to England. And, and, and at that stage of my career, I had zero interest in going back to England and playing. And as I said earlier, playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. So for me to leave Dundee United and to stay in the Premiership, there wasn't many other options. You know, Celtic, I wasn't going to Celtic. Celtic weren't going to sign me. They can go out and buy whoever they want. You know, the only other clubs that are probably, you know, on a par were Hearts, uh, Hibs, Aberdeen maybe. They were the only other three that, but again, they all have their their um, their squads and their strikers are not looking for my type of striker. So the only other option to stay in the Premiership was probably to stay at Dundee United, which, you know, again, going back to the whole contract nego- negotiations, if I had been offered a two-year contract originally, I would have signed it there and then, but... You know, I got offered a one-year contract. At that stage of my career, I wanted a little bit more security. I felt, I felt that I deserved a longer-term contract. Now I know the club were looking at it along their lines of you're coming, you're 30 on your next birthday. You've had previous injuries, but from my point of view, I kind of looked at it and I was like, well, you know, the last two seasons I've been your top goal scorer by miles. I've, you know, I've played nearly probably 90% of the game. So like the injuries have not been an issue. You know, if, if I was maybe, you know, played 30, 40% of the games, I could maybe understand their argument and, and you could probably think, right, well, I can see why you're doing that. But I just felt that being offered a year contract at that stage of my career, you know, wasn't going to work for me. So that's why I kind of 
didn't sign and I, and I left it open to see what other offers came and and Rangers when I spoke to them and I, and I met Ali and I spoke to him about that and you know I, I kind of thought right that's I'm in a, and I want to go there and I'm, I'm committed and yes the divisions and dropping the divisions was probably one of the only negatives um, that come with it but I go back to you know when you're a kid and you want to play football you want to play um, in front of crowds and you want to play at big stadiums and yes Rangers were probably one of the only big stadiums in, in that division but you're up there every second week and, and, and the training facilities and you know I felt you know I could improve there even though I was coming to the latter stages of my career I felt I could improve because the facilities are second to none and I think they were very very good in terms of you know they knew the stage of my career so they had tailored the training session around me and um, they had they had an alter G uh, treadmill which which was fantastic and you know it, it helped me the days that I didn't train I could just go on that treadmill and run because it takes a lot of your weight and it's like I don't know if you've seen them it's you know you get strapped into the, the treadmill and it, and it takes a percentage of your body weight to to lower the impact through your your joints which you know was wow. fantastic and they had the you know again in the training facility they had the the indoor um, a small indoor pool where you could go and do you know you could do um, your running and stuff and that because the floor lowered up and down so so the facilities again going going there yes you're going to a league one club in in terms of the division they were in but it, by no means was it a league one club it was a it was a top top premiership club that was just in that division for that moment in time and I just felt it was it was a great opportunity to go and again be part of that journey back to the top and how did uh, how did Ali like sell the club to you like obviously like, as we, you're from Dublin and it was obviously going to be a big thing like for an Irish lad to, to play for Rangers like how did Ali sell that to you like kind of just yeah kind of just spoke about what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it and how he how he's seen me fitting in and helping um, and and he made he made me feel really warm to that and and like that, you know, and that he actually spoke about you know the division and he was like, look, even if we were in the Premiership, I would still want to sign you because you're available. So it wow. wasn't it wasn't a, a case of oh well we're going to League One, you know, and you you you'll you'll walk that division no problem. So come and help us. It was it was. He made you feel really wanted, and he made you feel like okay, like if these were in the Premiership at this stage, and I'm out of contract, he wants to sign me. So, you know, and as I said earlier, there's a lot about Ali that kind of I liked, and, and there was a lot of uh, characteristics I liked about him, and, and I just wanted the experience of, of working under him and um, and and working at that football club with himself and his staff, and and yeah. It, it, he didn't have to sell it to me, but he did. And and, I, and I, as I said, I may, he made me feel like I was I was coming in to be part of of the project of of helping the club get back to you know where they need to be. You kind of were talking about one of my questions, and and you were talking earlier about playing at the big stadiums in front of the big crowds. But talk about playing at the it's called the Ibrox. I apologize if I got that wrong. Yeah, but, the Ibrox Stadium. Um, yeah, the, I've always heard stories and tales about how it's one of the best atmospheres in football better than Celtic sorry Anthony that's not um, true I don't know man I've heard from a lot of people it's a it's 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 a close second they're, if it's not they're, the they're, they're equally as good I think that's the best way to put it that's respectful <laughs> that's, respectful. that's politically correct <laughs> thank you <laughs> 
I know you. I know you said you were playing at the lower levels, and, and Anthony was talking earlier about some of the stuff you were dealing with. Um, I think you were the first Catholic-born Irishman to play for the club. So I believe, yeah. Yeah. So, um, talk about that. I guess. Uh, how did the the fans kind of accept you into the culture of the club? Um, did it ever come up? that really got in the way of your playing career or was it something that you were able to kind of put on the back burner and just go through? Cause like you said, Ali sold you on the club's vision, um, not to really convince you. So I mm-hmm. guess talk about that, that pathway with the Rangers fans. Yeah. Well, I think again, you, we spoke about it earlier about how do you stop it? And I think there's always a minority, you know, that, that won't accept that you're, you're Irish and you're, you were born into um, the Catholic religion um, and that's just their mindset and the way they are, and that's very, very difficult to change. But I would say a vast majority of them probably realised that at that, you know, I was I was a good player. I was going to add value to the team, and they were happy for me to be there because they thought, right, okay, this fella can score goals, and um, and he can he can add to the team's value. So I think the majority of the fans were fantastic with me and they were brilliant. And the ones that weren't, I would imagine they still celebrated when I scored. So, you know, <laughs> so, you know, again, if you go looking for stuff, you're going to find it. And I think for me, it was, um, it was something that it didn't, it wasn't an issue. Um, and I didn't, I didn't hear anything. So, so yeah, I think the fans for me and in, in my eyes, they were, they were great with me. And, and obviously, as you're like any player, whether you're what religion from you're from, what colour you are, if you're doing well for their team, they're going to support you. If you're not, then they're going to give you a stick. And I think, you know, that first year I scored a lot of goals um, and we won the league quite comfortably. So the fans were probably, I'd imagine they were quite happy with um, with me being there. So yeah, it was, it was, as I said, I think when I look back on my career, I had a longer spell at Dundee United to build that relationship with the fans. So that's probably where I feel more connected to Rangers. I loved my time there. And and I think the fans appreciated what I did for the club. Although, you know, the second year again is a disappointment. I didn't play as much as I would have liked to play. Um, but yeah, so I think my contribution will be appreciated by the, the vast majority of the fans there. And um, and yeah, the, the ones that, that can't see past everything else then that's that's their issue that's not mine yeah i, I hate to i hated to bring it up again but no it's fine um, you know, the, it's fine. It, it, but it is what it is and, yeah. and 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 you can't change it like the decisions that you make are the decisions that you, you choose to to do and and the path yeah. you choose to go down and and you know i kind of always looked at it like i'm not gonna make my decisions to you know, keep other people happy. You know, it's, it's, I need to make sure that I'm making the right decisions for myself, for my family, for my f- friends. And, um, and I felt that going to Rangers at that time in my career, where everything, like, when you weigh up the pros and cons, the pros totally, you know, outweighed the cons, um, you know, massively. So it was, again, it was, it was a, it was an easy decision to sign for that football club and, um, and to go and play there. And again, loved every minute of it. That's fantastic. Um, somber seconds, Anthony, I'm sorry. Um, you had a lot of injury troubles in your career, like you were talking about. Um, I believe you had a couple of knee injuries. I've had injuries pretty much my entire, not even just soccer career, my regular life. I sometimes roll my ankle getting out of bed and then I'm screwed for two weeks. Right. Um, talk about 
I, I guess more so the, the two knee injuries, long-term injuries, stuff that is career altering, uh, the faith in, from your manager, the faith from your fans and, and the faith in yourself, I guess, just talk about those daily and, and weekly struggles with a couple of pretty nasty injuries. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm not that bad getting out of bed, rolling my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> happens too um, often, man. It happens yeah. too often. <laughs> you need to maybe start wearing ankle braces going to bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, I think everybody deals with these situations differently. And I think, you know, it can affect people really badly. And I think, you know, personally, you know, when I went to Dundee United, it, it took me time to settle in terms of like scoring and get my first goal. And I got my first goal against Celtic and I felt great. And I felt like I was, you know, I felt like I was playing well, but I just wasn't scoring. Um, so yeah, you, you kind of then score. And then a couple of games later, you do, you do your posterior cruciate ligament and it's, it knocks you for six. And I think, when it happened, I remember. I remember actually it happened and jumping for a header with Darren Dodds, and and I kind of put my foot down to land, and my knee jarred back. So it's that movement. It's 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 not a it's not a really it's not a common injury in football, which you know typical I would get it. You know, it's not an injury. Um, it's it's more synonymous with car crashes. They said you know because you know if your if your knee is up and the dashboard hits, it's that movement of pushing back that pops the posterior. And it was just obviously the way I landed on my body weight going over. But it was funny because I played on for another maybe ten minutes, and I remember just I remember like running around and I thought, oh, that doesn't feel great. And then. And then I went to run after a ball and I started to limp and I kind of went over to the bench and I was like, the gaffer came over and was like, what's up? And I was like, oh, my knee is a bit sore. And he went, get off the pitch then, will you? And I was like, all oh, right, thanks. So I just kind of went off and they made the sub and I went down and obviously got checked out and the physios and the doctors, they, they were kind of a bit, mm, we need to send you to the hospital to get that looked at. And, and you kind of know then that it's not great. Um, so yeah, so that initial period, probably I'd say it was maybe a week, week to 10 days, maybe two weeks tops, where you're kind of like, and you feel like, why me? This is rubbish. This is crap. Why has why it happened to me? Like this, oh, this is, this is rubbish. And then you kind of feel down about it. And, and then once you kind of get past that and you go, right, it's happened. Can't change it. I need to look forward. You then kind of go, right, well, what can I do during this period that's going to make me come back a better player and, and come back in a better frame of mind, a better physical condition? So I kind of looked at my game and I thought, I want to improve. I want to come back stronger in terms of physicality. I want to be stronger than I ever was. So I backed at the gym um, and I was lifting weights that were ridiculous and I was coming back like really strong. And then I thought, I want to build up my legs. I want to make sure that like, that injury doesn't happen again. So yeah, so you kind of do that. And then I thought, well, I want to try and understand my role a bit more. So I would sit in the stand watching the games and just watch the strikers to see what they were doing um, and think, what would I have done in that situation? Or, you know, and I think I learned a lot um, about my role and, and my teammates, what my teammates wanted to do. And, you know, I used to speak to my teammates a lot about what, because I was a player, and I, I've spoke with this on other podcasts, a player that relied heavily on my teammates to, to provide service. I, I wouldn't be getting the ball and, and beating three or four players and scoring. I, I needed to get crosses in the box. I needed to get people cutbacks, and so I needed service. So you would you would look at your teammates and see 
what they would do and the types of areas they like to hit. And then you try and, you know, adapt your game to that. And I felt then that I came back in a better place than when I had left. Um, and then obviously then you have another couple of injuries. And, and it's because I think, I think because I've been through it before, you know how to come back from it. Um, and you probably don't have that initial period of feeling down. You just go, right, bang, let's get it done. I need an operation. Let's get me in, get it done. Because the sooner I get it done, the sooner I'm back playing. Um, and that was kind of my mindset with it all. And um, and as I said, it, everybody is different and everybody deals with it differently. And um, and it can, it can affect players um, quite badly. So I was quite fortunate that I had people around me um, that were very supportive, like my wife, my family, were really supportive and um you know as much as as much, I found out probably later on that my dad was worrying that I'd never come back but he never said that to me he would always maybe speak to my wife and be like oh how is he like I'm worried and but he would never let me know he was worried um so yeah so I think the people when they spoke to me were always really positive about it and um and then I kind that helps them with your own kind of mentality it's funny that you um, like I would think that when people are done, like doing their cruise ships, that they can just like cry out in agony and like you know like be underground in a heap kind of thing. Like it's weird that like there was no was there no pain like when when it happened or was it just like just oh it was kind of like a little I felt like a little popper and it was like you're like oh but then you when you start walking you start jogging again you're thinking no that feels okay and it doesn't feel too and then it was like when I went to do a, a different movement I, fe- I, I thought oh. Jesus, that's not right. Like, and 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 that's when you think, right? I need to get off this pitch because it's not. There was other ones, like the other injuries I had. I knew, uh, like when I done my my ankle at Hibs, when I, I kind of went into a tackle and and my 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 ankle was opened and and my studs got caught and and again it just and I, and I Good and help. you could hear like you could hear the crack. Uh, it was like, but again, stupid me jumps up, thinks I'm going to try and play on, and I tr- tried to walk. And I was like, oh, but even when I got brought into the changing room, I was saying to the doctor, just tape my boot and my ankle, just tape it, I'll be fine. <laughs> oh man, you sound, you sound just like me, man. You yeah, sound I was like, just, like just, just strap Put an ice it up, pack around fine. it or something. Yeah, I was like, strap it up, it'll be grand. But obviously that was like, I had avulsion fractures, I tore ligaments off bones. That was an absolute mess. And then the one, the one probably the worst one I think was the one against. I think it was against Hibs again. It was actually the same player that done me twice. I wouldn't say done me because they were fair tackles, but it's funny because I then um, when I was doing my A license, start my A license, he was on his A license assessment. It was Chris Hogg. Oh and, <laughs> and I, I kind of went over to him and Slapped I him in the face. Him and I, no, I walked over to him and said, "Oh, just standing next to you, I feel warm and new." He was like, he was like my kryptonite, you know. I just, you know, um, but a great, great, great boy and a great, great professional. And so when when the one happened at um, at Tanadice, he came into the shower like that one I knew straight away yeah, because the ball came up in the first minute of the game. The ball kind of came up. I stretched my leg out to control it and he came through, scissored both sides of my leg and my leg bent right. It was horrible, eh? horrible. Oh, and I knew, hell. I knew and I was in, I actually, I think I screamed on that one because it was the, one of the worst pains I've ever felt in my life. And I knew when I went in, like my knee had swelled up, it was massive. When I went to the hospital and they, 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 they checked the fluid to check um, what colour and it was just blood 
it was it was disgusting. Oh and Jesus! He came in afterwards and he was like, "Oh, I hope you're okay." And really, like, I didn't obviously mean it. And and to be fair, it takes a lot of balls to come in and and, and do that. And and I had a lot of respect for him for doing that. Um, just whenever I played against him again, I, I was like, "Gaffer, I don't want to play today." Yeah, like this boy's playing. He's <laughs> Um, you know, but no, he he, he was he's a good a, a good lad, and um, and he's now gone into coaching. I think he's at Newcastle Twenty Trees, and he's someone who again you know reached out to me um, over these last few months and said, look, once once this pandemic clears, and if you know if if you haven't got anything sorted, feel free to come down to Newcastle and and you can have a look about. And and again, a hundred percent, if I don't get sorted um, in the near future, it's something that I will do because an opportunity to go in and have a look at how, how a club like that works and um, and just try and pick stuff up um, for yourself. That's great that like uh, that, that people will do that for you though, right? I mean, like it's, at the end of the day, it's, the football community is, is, is crazy that they'll like, you know, give you a dig out like that. Yeah, it's, it is. And I think, you know, I think when you go into the, I think a lot of managers and a lot of coaches realise the, the volatility of the industry and, and uh, you know, the situation I'm in, they could be in the ne- in the next couple of months. So I think, you know, a lot of the coaches and a lot of the managers, I would say that the vast majority are very open. I have met a couple that are, you know, closed books. And again, that's that's their own um, their own prerogative. They don't have to be open. You don't have to share. But I'm very much um, of the mindset, like you know, that what we're doing now has been around before, um, and you know, very much that. You know, if I can help someone and I can share information with someone, I'm happy to do so because, you know, I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel. You know, I obviously have my own ideas on how we would play and how the game should be played. And I think we go back to the opinions we spoke about earlier. Everybody has a different viewpoint and a different opinion on what they would like to see and how they would like to do it. And I think if you're open and you're honest and you're happy to share with people, I think it's great because it then allows other people to see different, um, different ways of doing it. So, so the last question I have for you, just so we don't keep you here all day, because I could talk football with you all no, day. No, okay, I'm, I'm not uh, doing anything. Uh, um, <laughs> but have you heard of, uh, like, obviously we're here in Canada, so have you heard of the, the new CPL and would that be uh, something that would, would interest you down the line? Yeah, look, I, I think... Canada and, and North America in general are, are areas that I, I love. You know, I've been I've been out there numerous times on holidays. Um, you know, myself and my wife before we had the kids would go out there every year. We would go to America because it was it's just amazing. And up to Canada, actually, when we spoke off air, but I never really finished the story. But we um, we spent our honeymoon. Um, so we got married and we went on honeymoon on a cruise. Started a cruise in Seattle, went up to Alaska, around Alaska, you know, you're jumping off at different ports and, nice. and we ended up stopping in, in Victoria. Um, and that was one where we nearly missed the boat. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we went into Victoria, which was a beautiful, beautiful city and, and beautiful town and just like gorgeous. And we actually I remember us being there and we were like, wow, I'd love to live here one day. It's just like fascinating. It's just a beautiful place. And, we managed to find an Irish bar, um, as you do when you go to these places. And I swear to God, if you said that you'd gone to, like, you know, we decided to scale Everest, there's a fucking Irish bar at the top somewhere. Oh, there are one has to be. There, are, there always is. Eh? Some Yeti will be running it up in, in Everest. Yeah. But no, I think, you know, so we went, we went there and we went into this Irish bar and uh, 
there was a there was a band on surprisingly, um, which you know it for, doesn't really go with Irish, but I don't know how they they managed to get in there. But so this this the the boy is playing and he's still singing away and my wife went to the toilet, so I went up to the band and I was like, God, do you play any reels or do you do you do any Irish like you know uh, Kaylee music? And he was like, Yeah, yeah. I was like, God, oh, my wife, uh, my wife, I just got married, we're on honeymoon, she's part of River Dance. And the boy was like, you're joking. And I was like, no, honestly, she's part of Riverdance. So he was like, right, cool. So my wife came back out up the stairs and the music stopped. And he goes, oh, we've got Linda. We just got married on our honeymoon. She's like, oh. And he goes, and she's going to give us a couple of reels. She's, she's part of Riverdance. And she's kind of like, <laughs> to be fair to her, right? To be fair to her, she did it. Huh? And she's giving it all the arms by the side. The legs are gone. The boy and then all the, oh my God. the the people in the bar are like clapping away photos and videos and that was brilliant. So we ended up sitting there like the whole day, yeah, like and we were looking at our watches and like the boat leaves in like, you know, an hour or more. Minutes, and they're like, right, we really need to get going. But there was like there was no taxis, it was like, you know, the rickshaws. So we had this, we got this rickshaw and this boy's set, cycling away and we're both like paralytic. We're like out of the game. Huh? And we're telling them where to go. And um, literally, I would say, got there with five minutes to spare back on the boat and then off to the next... Uh, next <laughs> we're going back to the, the CPM. Yes. <laughs> I, um, I'm obviously aware of it and, and it's somewhere like I, I would love... I think, you know, my experiences in the game and, um, you know, having played and being worked for 22 years I've had 22 years kind of constant employment in the game and you know picked up a lot of um, a lot of experience a lot of knowledge in that time and and I do think that I'm just kind of at the stage you know obviously the pandemic kind of came and it's just prolonged everything um, and I'm kind of you know as much as I've loved spending time with my family and my kids and, and my wife and I'm kind of ready to you know get back out there and if an opportunity came somewhere abroad as I said earlier I'd love to experience that as a player um, so yeah I think you know to get the opportunity to coach out somewhere that would be amazing There's actually a team uh, called Pacific in Victoria Right there you go that's... Yeah so if they're listening yeah <laughs> Yeah and as long as you can pay me you can pay me in vouchers at the Irish bar it doesn't matter <laughs> There was like it's it's so it's so random that like you know there you are a professional footballer and they're all asking your wife for autographs. Yeah, no, it was incredible. It was, it was incredible and it was great. It was it was a great experience, you know. Um, Pictures probably behind the bar. Probably, I wouldn't surprise me. We'll go back and she'll be there. Um, she, she won't be going to the toilet this time because I'll just stitch her up again. <laughs> Uh, keep you all day I know no, it's, look, it's almost lunchtime over there right now I think isn't it uh, quarter past 12 now yeah yeah, yeah. I don't want to hold get, get those Mars bars deep frying huh <laughs> oh, no, do look, uh, do you know what? I'd never had one of them until I came oh man oh they're the best yeah well they're not great for you when you're trying to keep in shape you know I'm alright now I don't have to worry about that but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah um, uh, more or less your time playing with Ireland um, with the youth set up uh, you more or less finished your Irish career playing in an international tournament, if I'm not mistaken. I guess just talk about the steps because um, while you were with County, you were an Irish youth regular. So, um, and uh, you know, again, sorry, Anthony, somber seconds. Um, Any regrets not making the full team? I know that you played in an era of incredible strikers, so it's no fault of your own. 
Um, but, you know, is that one of the regrets of your career or, or is it something that you're just kind of settled on? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when you're a kid, you always want to, you, you would love to play for your country at the highest level and, and, you know, to have that experience and to be exposed to that. And, um, you know, I think starting out with the youth setup, you know, when I went in under 14s and, and I played, I think it kind of starts out where they bring all the players that they think are potentially good enough to play into a big kind of tournament amongst each other and you play and, and then they kind of handpicked the ones that they want. And, and luckily for me, unfortunately enough, I was, I was one of them and I was a regular starter at the, at the underage and scored a lot of goals underage and made kind of the, the progression up to under 21s and you know, played in an under 20s World Cup, under 19s European Championship. Actually, in the under 19s European Championship, I was beaten to the golden goal, uh, the, the golden boot, you know, top scorer by Fernando Torres. So, you know, that's that's no mean feat, you know. So I think I think I'd got three and he'd got four and he he scored in the final against Germany. Um so yeah, so you know, to have that experience and to you know, when you look back at the players you've played against and the 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 players you've played with, you know, it's incredible and you know it's it's great to see some of them have really gone on to have like massive football careers, like Fernando Torres, for instance, you know, um as a worldwide name and he's played at some huge football clubs and commanded some some massive transfer fees so so yeah I, I really enjoyed my time with Ireland and I think it was it was great you know to go and experience them and play in some of the tournaments that I've mentioned not playing in um, the under 19s European Championships going and then qualifying for the World Cup out in, in the UAE and and then playing with the 21s out in Toulon um, yeah so it has been been great and Yes, 100%. I would have loved the chance to, to do that. But sometimes these things are out of your control and, you know, you, you can only control what you, what you can affect. And unfortunately for me, you're right. There was a lot of fantastic strikers around that time. And, and you know, the one that probably, Kevin Doyle, um, was probably in and around the same age as me. And, and I played probably a lot with Kevin or ahead of a Kevin at the underage. But then he's he's kicked on and played a, a higher level than me. and, and I think delighted for him and fair play to him, a great boy. And, um, you know, but unfortunately for me, that kind of stopped me then progressing to, um, to that stage of international football. And I think the times that I was probably doing well, you know, at Dundee United, um, when I was doing really well. And then, you know, the times that you probably think you might have a chance, you then maybe get injured or the timing, it's just obviously wasn't meant to be. And as I said, it's, it's something that, I don't have regrets over it because, again, it's you know it's not something that I can really affect. It's it's other people's decision making that that um, they choose the squads, and it would have been, but it would have been been great, um, you know, for myself and my family to experience that. But to to play up to under twenty ones at that level, even is is a fantastic achievement and and something I'm, I'm very proud of. Maybe one day you'll manage them. Well, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Um, my last question, um, back to your Stockport days. Actually, I guess we were still kind of talking about your Stockport days. Um, your first senior goal, FA Cup against a Premier League team. It pretty much doesn't get any cooler than that. So I guess just kind of talk about, because I know you were struggling leading up to it. You were really just starting your professional career. How did yeah. that whole kind of thing fall into place? Yeah, so I, I made my debut at 16, which, you know, when I look back now, you know, I probably wasn't ready. Um, you know, I think 
hindsight is a great thing. But again, that's not my decision. The manager wants you to play. You're not going to say no. You're going to play. So, um, and at that time, you know, you're a, you're a you're a young player, and and you have belief in yourself. And but you know, physically, mentally mature. I wasn't probably mature enough to play in the first team at that stage. Um, but you know, a great opportunity and and something that, as I said, you're not going to turn down and you're not going to actually turn around to the manager and say, I don't feel like I'm ready. You're just going to jump at the chance. Um, but yeah, the, the goal, you know, playing against Bolton in the FA Cup, we got a penalty and to be fair, I think it was like 3-0, maybe 3 or 4-0 down. I just grabbed the ball and took the penalty. I was like, this is an opportunity for me to score a goal and I'm taking it. Um, and to be fair to the, to the, the kind of older pros that were in the team, they were just like, look, on it's kind of, it's a consolation goal just now anyway so it doesn't really matter to them so but it meant a lot to me because um you know your first professional goal and as you said against the team that were playing the premiership at the time was was great and but yeah it was it was kind of just give me the ball I'm taking this penalty <laughs> You're lucky, you're lucky you didn't miss, man. Jesus, they probably would have sent back, sent back to Ireland. <laughs> I, like, I like stories like that, though, because you think it's romantic. It's like this whole nice thing. But sometimes first goal stories are just like, it's a 4 I never really looked at it like, oh, this is brilliant. I'm playing. I was going to like, just, this is a penalty. This is a, like, you don't get many opportunities like that to score a goal you know it's a, for me penalties are a free hit it's you know yes you might miss a couple but you know it's a free shot a goal from 12 yards which you know you don't get you're normally under pressure or you're not were, you, were know. you on a were you on a scoring bonus as well I don't think I was which is unfortunate if I had it been uh, <laughs> it would have been even worse just one. give me that fucking thing <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no I don't think I was that's one thing you know throughout my career I've actually never been I've never had them worked into my contract you know so um, I was always happy just to play and, and I've seen scoring goals as my job and um, you would have made you know, a fortune so, man Jesus yeah you well, out there but to be fair I think for me uh, I, I always think you know the team winning is more important than me scoring goals you know and I think if I score and we win then that's that's the bonus if I score and we lose then that goal didn't really mean anything to me because we got beat you know so um, that was kind of always my mindset was that it was a team force mentality and I wanted the team to to win um, and I, I liked winning whether that meant I scored or not or if I contributed you know we won the Scottish Cup and I never scored in the Scottish Cup throughout the whole tournament but I'm still part of that squad that won the Cup and you know that that for me means more than me you know scoring the goal in the run and, and you know and other Cups that I've scored in that we've not won you know it's I'd rather not score, ever score, and just win every game. Wow, I, I'd, I'd love to say that I share the same attitude, but I'm a selfish asshole, so... No, but that, <laughs> that being said, there's, there's no better feeling. There's no better feeling than scoring a goal, you know, and celebrating, and the fans are all celebrating because of what you've done or, you know, something you've contributed towards. So, yeah, like scoring goals was fantastic, and, and that's not me saying, oh, I didn't enjoy... I loved scoring goals, but... I only really love scoring goals when it led to the team winning the game. It's a, that's a, you've, you've given to any kind of young guys like listening in, there's, there's some great pointers in there from your, your attitude and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot to learn because um, you've, you've been, uh, you went over to England at a very young age too. And, um, you know, having the, the, just being able to like put all that stuff be, behind you and just get on with your game is probably like, the best piece of advice I feel you can give anybody really. 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, leaving leaving Dublin at 15, I, I was a kid. Eh? Like, I left at 15. I was, um, i just done my junior cert in, in, in school and then I left and it was, you know, it, looking back, it, it's, you know, it's... It's crazy. It, it was tough. It is crazy. Yeah, no, it is. And, and I was really fortunate that I had parents that were, were supportive of that and, and they were they were quite happy for me to make that decision and and they never really put any pressure on me to make a decision that was probably more financially beneficial to them you know because I'd had other offers to go to other clubs that you know probably would have seen them get you know some money for it and they, they you know they kind of seen that I wanted to go to Stockport because at that time I felt that Stockport was the right step to building a career Um and having longevity in that career and you know and, and they were brilliant they were really supportive of that and um you know, don't get me wrong like when I was at Stockport there was times where you know it was tough and it was mentally like draining and 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 I did stuff that like when I look back I think gobshite what are you doing like you know you know and and like even like you know you leave at 15 and you're coming into that age where you're 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 starting to have temptations, whether it's you know women, whether it's you know alcohol, it's you know, and it, and it is really really difficult. And I probably had a year or two at Stockport where I was I wouldn't say off the rails, but I would say I was wasn't fully focused on why I was there, you know. And I think that at that stage kind of held me back. And um, it was only kind of when I met. My, my now wife that I then went you know what I need to get my head back in the game here and I need to focus because I'd had I'd had issues and I'd had problems where I was thinking like I want I, I just want to go back to Dublin and, and it was probably that fear of I wouldn't say failure but it was probably fe- feeling like you were letting your family down and, and you know you know that kind of made me keep going and keep um, plodding away and you know, because the, the times when you're not in the team, the times when you're not scoring, the times when, you know, because they're, they're the times when, for, for me, when you're, you're tested more than ever. Because, you know, when, when things are going well and you're on a high, it's the easiest game in the world and it's the easiest job in the world. But them moments when you're up here are, for me, are few and far between. Um, you know, there's more more moments when you're either here or you're you're down there, and it's 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 how you handle them situations and how you bounce back from them situations that that really determine where you're going to go. And um, and as I said, when I met my wife, that was the moment where I actually thought I need to settle down here and I need to really focus on on why I'm here and what I'm wanting to do and what I'm wanting to achieve. And and that's when I kind of felt my career kind of went like that. Now I would never tell her that. That <laughs> you might need to edit that part out <laughs> but, but that for me is like the moment when when I felt like my career kind of was like you know like that and I kind of went you know yes you have the moments where you come back down with, with the injuries with with performances but but she's always been my sounding block um, where she would just say get your head out of your arse and get going again do you know what I mean you know you can do this and 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 I think that's, as I said, that was the moment when I felt like I went up because the Stockport are probably underachieved. Um, I went there with high expectations, and um, as I said, there was there was bigger clubs in Stockport that had wanted me to sign. Um, so I kind of went there with this 
probably um I'm, no, better, I'm, pro- I'm bigger than this kind of thing. No, I don't think men, I don't think I did, but I think they probably viewed it as you know, right? This this is the this is a player who can actually, you know, we can play him in our first team, and at eighteen, you can maybe sell him, you know, for money. And I think if I had a, had the focus that I had at the latter stage of my career that early on, which is difficult to have for like you know, ask a fifteen-year-old kid and a sixteen-year-old kid to have. But I think if I had I had that at a, an earlier stage of my career, I think Stockport would have probably made a lot of money off me. But as I said, I kind of I lost my way a bit. Um, and thankfully for me, I, I, I found, I got back on the right track sooner rather than later and, and it helped me then progress um, to have a, a career in the game. Amazing. So, uh, as I said, like it's great. Like uh, a lot of kids will take a. Um, there's a guy that we that listens to the show who's uh, he's like 12 and he wants to become this big footballer. So like him hearing these kind of things will really help him along the way. Um, so before we before we let you go, um, you're going to play in a five side tournament. You can only play with players that you've played with before. Who's on your team? Uh, and am I one of these players, or can I be a sub? You, you, you could be the coach if you want to. <laughs> I don't know. He's got goalkeeping history. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need a sub goalie anyway. I don't need a sub goalie. Yeah, I think um, to be fair, five aside, I could I could play five aside. Just stand up with a goal and tap yeah, it. Um, so yeah, I think you've kind of caught me on. I was thinking about players. Right, so goalkeeper have to have Casper Schmeichel. Um, I was. I, Barry with Casper, um, he was a kid. I was kind of you know early twenties or you know late teens, and he was he was different class even then. You know you could see he had that mentality and he had that drive, and you could see that he was really going to go on and, and progress and play at a high level. And you know the levels he's gone on to play at, phenomenal. Um, you know winning the Premier League with Leicester, you know goalkeeper, um, international goalkeeper for Denmark. Um, and I think when you have a dad like Peter, it kind of, you know... It helps, right? <laughs> but it, it probably, it, it might help a little bit, but it could also <laughs> hinder you because you're always probably getting compared, eh? You know, you're yeah. always getting compared and it's, it's probably difficult for him to then go and uh, break free from them shackles. But, you know, he's, he's done it and he's, he's, he's excelled and, you know, he would be one that I would have between the sticks. I wouldn't imagine we would concede many with him in goal. Um, Centre-back, again, obviously played with John O'Shea. Um, at under twenty one level in Northern Ireland, unbelievable. Um, you know, another one that you could just see was going to go on and and have a real good career and just so composed on the ball and right foot, left foot, different class. The way he trained, the way he conducted himself, his professionalism. You know, top top pro. So I'd probably have him in. He probably just gets in ahead of Lee Wilkie, who was centre back at Dundee United who was probably hampered by injuries. So if I'm having a substitute defender, big, big league, he's my sub defender. Um, and then I'd probably go with Gary McCoy-Steven. I don't know where he is. Oh, yep. but, you know, he's out in New York, actually, at yep. the minute. New York City. <coughs> played, for, played for Celtic for a while there, too. Played for Celtic, yeah. Was at Dundee United. He was someone who... When 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 guys came in to Dundee United and he trained with us, um, myself and a few of the other older pros, um, I'm saying older pros, we were maybe 26, 27, but we kind of went to the manager and we were like, who is this kid? Like, wow, like, 
you know, and he was like, oh, this is young boy. He was at Airdrie, um, was at Liverpool, was at Airdrie, um, just bringing him in to have a look. And we were like, like, you need to sign this boy. Yeah? He is incredible. <laughs> um, and to be fair to the manager, like Peter Houston at the time, you know, done everything he could to, to sign him. And um, I think he had to fight really, really hard. I remember telling us he used to have to fight with the board to get, like, I think it was like four or five hundred pounds a week to, to sign him. And, Jesus um, Christ. And he was incredible. Like, and he's the type of player for me that, like, if I'm going to pay to watch football, he's the type of player I want to see playing. You know, we'll get the ball. Will will drive at people. He's he's positive. He'll do tricks. He'll, you know, he'll entertain you. Um, and he's someone who like you know he used to watch him in training, and you know he grabbed some footballs in the training, and he would just go off on his own, and he'd be doing these little ball manipulations, and he'd be making up tricks, and you know he'd be I'd be watching him, I'd be like, oh, what is this? And he's like, oh, this is he'd call them, give them names, and and then he would go out on the Saturday, and he would actually do them, like he would, you know. I remember I've been playing against St. Johnston at McDermott Park and he'd been practicing this trick all week where he kind of dragged it, flicked it one way, flicked it the other way and, you know, drove off. He then went, got the ball on the end line, done this trick, the defender ends up on his arse and then like, you end up getting a chance. And you're kind of like, you're actually standing there watching him going, oh my God, like, that's incredible. Like, um, and then you and then you tried it and it fell on your arse, right? Yeah, and I'd, I'd probably probably do my knee again. <laughs> so um, so no, so yeah, so he he one hundred percent would be you know if you're playing a five side, you want someone like that in your team who can who can do that. Um, the last position I think is tough because there was a lot of good players. Um, let me just think off the top of my head. Um, this this one is probably. I'll probably go with Ricky Lambert. Um, nice. Yeah, probably go with Ricky. Um, just because, depending on how big the five-a-side pitch is, he's someone that can score from anywhere. Um, he was at Stockport at the time when I was there. He came, we, we brought him from, I think he was at Rochdale first. He scored a lot of goals for Rochdale and then he came into Stockport. And he was someone who, for me, was totally unappreciated by the, by the supporters. Um and he was he was an incredible football player. Probably wasn't that as fittest um, at Dundee United. A big lad, a bit similar to myself, quite, you know, a big boy. And probably not the most mobile, but give him a football and wow, like he can he can produce like and he can do things with the ball and you know, can score thirty yarders, screamers, um, free kicks, he can score headers in the box, he like just incredible um, and a great lad as well like a really really good boy um, and then you look at the career he's then gone on to have went down to Bristol Rovers I think signed for Southampton in, in you know the first division or League One and then went through the divisions with Southampton went to Liverpool played for England um, just an incredible football player I'm actually thinking how I've made this five-a-side team <laughs> 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 you know it's, You've done all right. You've done all right yourself, man. Yeah, I've done all right. Well, I look at the players. <laughs> I'm in this team. Um, so yeah, so that that would be it. Be Casper in goal. John O'Shea. John O'Shea can just sweep up defensively and step in. Ricky can play midfield because he can score from distance. He can play up front. Me up top and Gary McCoy, Stephen just can just do what he wants. Just give him the ball and let him do what he wants. That's a, that's a solid. That's a solid fucking team right there. Yeah. Um, what's the what's the favorite kit um, you've ever worn as a player? I used to love kits. As a kid, I used to love kits, and I'd wear any kits. Eh? Like just, this, I remember having the 
the Newcastle kit. Do you remember the, the it was like a purple and uh, a purple and like a pink. No, it was a dark pink, like the stripes, and I had the color. It was a buttoned color. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. yeah. It had the, the Newcastle brown ale thing. Yeah, Newcastle. Yeah, 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 brown, yeah, yeah. I had that as a kid. I remember I used to love that. Um, and again, I was a Man United fan, but I used to just wear kits that I liked. I had a uh, when I was a kid at uh, Northern Ireland where. Their, their kits were made by I think it was uh, Umbro and they had like this beautiful green one it had like little white stripes on it like little uh, pinstripes yeah. and obviously wearing a Northern Ireland jersey kicking around in Dublin probably wasn't the greatest idea yeah. but <laughs> I <laughs> funny because yeah I actually went um, I went out to the States as a you know out to America and up Canada and we played there was a, a, a thing called Cooperation North it was like you know it was kind of kids from Republic of Ireland kids from Northern Ireland came together and they, they played together and it was actually a Northern Ireland kit that we wore and we played in the, the USA Cup um, we played in the Toronto Cup maybe we played in three or, two or three different tournaments out there and that was that was incredible as well you know just to go and experience that I think it was maybe 14 at the time um, and we used to, we went out and we stayed in digs with families um, of other um, players that were playing they kind of put us up in, in their houses so that was uh, a great experience as a kid as well you know to play in these tournaments and um, and then like, you know wearing a Northern Ireland kit again at 14 years of age you don't think of anything you know you're not thinking I'm not wearing a Northern Ireland kit you're just wearing a kit because it's it's you know the kit you're asked to wear and you know you, you don't you don't look at it like anything um, you know negative so um, so yeah no, but I think the Newcastle one going back to the kids, I think that was the one that I, I remember wearing nearly all the time. It was probably, you take off and it would stand itself. I wore it that often. <laughs> <laughs> um, the ones that washed and cycled themselves, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just yeah. A, a bit of links on there, I'd be fine, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think the in terms of the ones I wore, um, the, the clubs I've played for, obviously the one that means the most is the 2010 Dundee United one you know, that yeah, was, some great day. like I know it's always orange but like their, their kits always look really smart. yeah they've got some some cool kits and um, some really really good designs to them the Rangers one um, was was a nice kit but it was one of those um, yeah. painted onto you <laughs> And obviously, I'm not like, you know, I was never someone that was absolutely ripped. I was obviously strong physically, but I was never uh, ripped. So, um, so I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that type of material. Um, and it was funny because when, when Boydie actually came to the club, Boydie wouldn't wear it. Chris Boyd, he was like, I'm not wearing that. I'm not wearing that kit. You need to get me one made with the, the normal material, the baggy material. Um, that's amazing you know I think if I had probably had the same kind of um, standing as Boydy at the club I probably would have demanded the same you know but I I kind of (laughs) didn't feel that I had that standing so I had to just wear what I was told to wear Um, but yeah Boydy wouldn't wear it he was just like, nah, I'm not wearing them. It, it's it's the same for me. Like I'm a very rotund man myself, and like uh, I, I when sports were, uh, I'm a sports fan, and the uh, Under Armour were making their stuff, and was, and, and Puma was always like kind of bet onto you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it doesn't make good for going to watch a game with your beer belly kind of hanging there. And <laughs> our, uh, our our local club, John, their uh, their kits, their home kit last year was kind of similar too. Really, really tight polo fit. And yeah, it's a, like it's uh, it's made by like Macron. Um, so like yeah. obviously I think they're Italian so Italians are made for to look yeah, athletic and, build. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not for not for Guinness yeah. drinking hooligans right so no no they're made for the sculpture that's me <laughs> <laughs> 
the normal average goal. Eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, man. So uh, really appreciate you hanging out there, hanging out with us. Uh, yeah. So John, thank you so much. I know we've taken a lot of your day. Yeah, no it's problem, been a lot so. of fun. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Thank you.